Hey everyone, Ben Nelson, the Everyday Real Estate Investor here with another episode of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And we have, it's been too long because things just continue to change, but we have our uh, our lender expertise, uh, Grant Schroeder from Academy Mortgage on the show again to get a, an update and chat a little bit about what's going on in the market, Grant. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ben. Always enjoy these conversations. Awesome. Well, let's. Uh, it's been, I think, a couple months. And uh, you know, as I mentioned, things are changing. Uh, I mean, like almost on a daily basis these days. So probably too long in between uh, in between episodes. But uh, let's let's get caught up on where we're at in the market and and what you're seeing, and and then we can talk about where where things might be headed. So get that crystal ball out, right? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, let's talk about the stage. So actually, I'm going to step back a little bit because I think we, just thinking back to some of our previous conversations late last year, early in this year, kind of anticipating rates to be down yeah. at this point this year. You know, we were, we were talking about rates being in the, you know, maybe mid fives at this point, And here we are kind of on the other end of the spectrum here. Yeah. Um, you know, not quite to what we saw, you know, at other points in history, but... Um, but definitely not where we where we maybe thought things were going to be. So let's let's talk about that a little bit and maybe what's causing that and, and um, some of what the Fed's been doing and some of those things. So ready, go. <laughs> <laughs> Lots to unpack there. I'll yeah. try and take it one thing at a time. So yes, I mean certainly back in May we thought was going to be our pivot point as far as interest rates go. The rate of inflation was coming down. Uh, it has continued to come down. We're not going to see as much significant improvement over the next five to six months just because we're not replacing very high numbers from this time in the month in 2022. Um, and typically, mortgage rates follow inflation. Bonds hate inflation. And as inflation's moving lower, you start to see um, mortgage rates improve with it. Um, the job market has proved a little more resilient than people thought. Darn. Um, <laughs> I mean, the thing that's really frustrating with like BLS and ADP, the Federal Reserve even acknowledged this in their meetings just this past week. Um, some of the headline numbers look a lot better than what they really are. We've talked about it in past podcasts where you look at places like LinkedIn, um, ZipRecruiter, these private sector companies, they're seeing job postings drop. They're seeing the number of activity drop. Um, unemployment claims are starting to tick up, but a lot of this is not being reflected in the continuing jobs claims, the, the new unemployment data as part of the BLS jobs report. But the thing we're starting to see is you typically see two to three revisions after the original report. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we've, these last couple months, we've seen numbers cut in half from the original headline. So it's like they're trying to conceal, it almost feels like a little bit, there's a little bit of monkeying going on with the data, like the job market is not as strong as the headline looks, and the Fed acknowledged that just this last week. Interesting, um, okay, I didn't see that. One of the other things, the Federal Reserve gave a little bit of, of foreshadowing what's to come. They did not hike at this last meeting, but you look at their dot plots, which is basically their forecast through the end of this year and into next year, into 2024. Um, right now we're between five and a quarter and 5.5%, um, as far as the fed funds rate, which again, does not directly affect mortgage rates. It's your consumer credits or variable credit rates, cards, yeah. variable rates on auto loans, um, variable student loans, that sort of thing. Home equity lines of credit. Um, they forecast that to still be, was like five, 5.3 to 5.4. So that's telling us, okay, we have two more meetings. November is going to be a big one. We're probably going to see 
a 25 basis point hike, but they also indicated, they foreshadowed previously 2024 we'd see four rate cuts. And the market's been kind of preparing for that. Mm -hmm. But they've reduced it at the last meeting to two rate cuts next year. Basically what they're saying, they want to end 2024 at about 5.1%, so a five to five and a quarter mark. They want to stay higher for longer. Um, which is good if they're they're not monkeying with the economy, being reactionary, because they tend to overdo it with rate hikes mm-hmm. or wait to cut. Yeah, so overcorrection or yeah, yeah, or and just being a little too slow to pull the levers, right? Yeah, they and they only have a couple levers they can pull, yeah. and so I had this conversation with just someone yesterday, and they're like, "Oh, is it, if the Fed's not going to cut rates next year, mortgage rates going to stay high?" Not necessarily. As the job market continues to crack, a lot of the economists that I listen to um, have been talking about, okay, kind of a mild recession or a slow session. We're kind of in many industries, like real estate just from a transaction standpoint is in a recession just based on volumes, not on not on price points whatsoever. We've recovered in price points in yeah. most of the major metros. Mm-hmm. But there's several industries that are feeling that and kind of End of Q4 into Q1, I think a mild recession is very reasonable that's a, that that's going to occur. It's going to hurt some a lot more than others and hurt other industries. But the biggest thing is if we have certainty or the Fed just isn't making a bunch of policy changes, that could bode well for the market, signaling a little bit more certainty for investors. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this in the past where, okay, the 10-year treasury is used as a benchmark against mortgage rates. It's not, mortgage rates are based in bonds, what's called the mortgage-backed securities market, where they are packaged, securitized, bought and sold. But because the 10-year treasury has a positive correlation with mortgage rates, people tend to point to that. Typically, we have 180 basis points to 200 basis points spread historically, which means mortgage rates are 1.8% to 2% higher than where the 10-year treasury is. Yesterday, I think we got up to 4.4 on the 10-year treasury. So realistically, mortgage rates should be six and a quarter to six and a half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they're... Seven and a half. They got the point, right? Um, investments, yes. Investments did eight and nine. Primaries, high sevens. Um, we hit a two-decade high in, um, in August. Okay. I thought I saw because we, we a Yahoo Finance headline that it got above eight percent at one point for finance, but investments maybe low down payment or okay could be credit okay um, yeah home buyers could be yeah I did not read the article um, shame on me so <laughs> <laughs> I would say no just read the headline right dang it <laughs> uh, there's only so much time in the day yeah yeah um, but. We, I mean, we saw a peak back in October, November of last year, but we pushed past that peak here in August. Um, the Federal Reserve doesn't have to cut rates next year for mortgage rates to come down. If we get some that level of certainty, right there. you see secondary investors, you see mortgage lenders putting in more margin relative mm-hmm. to the 10-year treasury. We're at a 300 basis point plus spread right now because yeah. of all the uncertainty and the volatility. We, I mean, we see a quarter to three-eighths percent swings in rates over the span of a week. Yeah. I mean, in 2021, we changed an eighth to a quarter in rate over an entire month. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's not healthy for a home buyer not knowing what their payment is. Like, Well, not we, only is it not healthy, it, it can totally change... What if they're able to buy or not? Or people who are tied to debt to income ratio from right. a payment standpoint, yeah. 
you change a quarter three eighths over the weekend yeah. when you've made your offer. I've always found the house. Yeah. Oh well, never mind. Right. So, <laughs> so it's important to constantly be checking in with your loan officer. Yeah. I mean, I, like whether someone's looking at properties, it's like please reach out. I'm glad to help. Like check in with me. Like I can tell you where rates are right now. But in two weeks, when you find that home you want to make an offer, check in with me. Let's re let's check numbers. Make sure everything looks good. Yeah. Um. So, all that to say, there's several factors with the job market. Um, a mild recession, which tends to help. In we see recession in the United States economy, which we're seeing it in China. That's kind of a foreshadowing. But you tend to see mortgage rates come down because investors fly to safety. Recession, you see stock prices coming down a lot of the time. But bonds and the the certain the more certain return is where investors flight to, and that drives down the ten year treasury. You see that drive down mortgage rates, and potentially it, it might be just a good thing if the Fed starts mon- stops monkeying with the yeah. economy because maybe that lends a little more certainty to secondary investors, and you start seeing okay they haven't done any rate cuts, but that three hundred basis point margin yeah, starts, starts shrinking. We're we're back where it usually is. Usually, yeah. yeah, yeah, that. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's yeah, a, there's a bigger margin. Slow, it's a slow dance yeah. that's been on for for decades between the ten year and mortgage rates, yeah. and right now it is. Yeah. So to your point, so kind of just to some, so there's a bigger margin there than usual, which is why rates are higher than they really should be because there's so much volatility and uncertainty mm-hmm. with the the economy and with where the Fed may or may not go with their, their policy and their, and their yeah. bond, you know. Their, you see that in higher stuff. rates, higher costs. Mm-hmm. Rooms, like lenders and secondary investors, we've talked about this before, make their money from interest on loans by servicing them, holding them. And a lot of times the break even, the cost up front for a lender, their break even is three to four years collecting that interest over time. It's a long game. But when we have a spike in interest rates like we've seen, 4% over the course of a year, there's a fear from lenders that okay, this loan is going to get refinanced, yeah, and they're not going to make anything, any yield on it. They're going to yeah, lose they're protecting their yield. Yeah. So you see yeah. higher costs up front, so they're making sure that they are still profitable. Because you look at the last several quarters, um, end of from end of 2022 to Q1, Q2 of this year, we're, we're just finishing up Q3. Lender, like the average lender was losing three to four hundred dollars per loan after all operation costs after wow. everything that's going on like lender most lenders have not been profitable for the last two or three quarters um that's i mean that's why i'm thankful to be at a company like academy we have a very strong cash position we're very well capitalized we're privately run so we're not beholden to shareholders like mm-hmm. some of your bigger bigger uh, guys that have ipo'd bigger companies uh, we're able to be a little more nimble, and mm-hmm. we're very yeah. we have a cash buffer. We've had people approach us about buying their company because we're in such a strong financial position, which is yeah. a huge blessing in a market with a lot of a lot of uncertainties. Yeah, so. yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, and, um, kind of a, a big pivot here, but one of the things that I think is affected by the higher rates too is that you know um, builders are you know how they're. Builders finance their projects. That's how they. That's how they move forward with mm-hmm. you. They're not working with cash, for the most part. Um, they're using leverage, and so now they're borrowing at a much higher rate than they were, you know, a year and a half or so ago. Um, so they're. So we. You know, we talk about prices coming down, things like that, or what's going to happen. Well, you know, builders are either like, 
Okay, they, they did have some pretty good profits for the first couple of years, so there's some profit there, I'm sure. But yeah. um, but you know they got to factor that in, right? Their 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 holding costs have risen significantly mm-hmm. on all of that, and so that's going to factor in um, to what they are going to sell their product for, mm-hmm. and it's going to factor in whether or not they move forward on new projects, right? So yeah. we are starved for inventory still, and what I see is, you know, ninety percent of homeowners having either owning free or free and clear or under 4% interest rate. Mm-hmm. So they're not coming to market unless there is some compelling life reason to do so. Life event, moving out of the area, um, you know, a death or something like that, or just like, we, we just have to do something because we need a bigger house or we need it or whatever. Like there, yep. sometimes you just make that decision and you bite the bullet, but, but it's gonna be rare circumstances, right? So you've got a very small fraction of the market that's like, You've got a high percentage that's not very motivated to come to the market. They need a really big kick in the pants to do it, to do it right? Yeah. And then you have builders that are, I mean, I, I don't have, I honestly don't have any stats or anything offhand to like substantiate this claim, but the fact that financing is more and it's gonna cost more, they're gonna be in the economy questions and things like that. Mm-hmm. They're, they're gonna be a little bit slower to bring. They've been through this, a lot of them, right? Yeah. They've been, they've, they've, or, or what they think, it could, what it might be, right? I don't think it's gonna be that, but they're just, in general, they're, they're more hesitant because maybe they have been through, you know, the financial crisis or maybe, you know, they know that builders have, been, have gone through that, so, mm-hmm. so they don't wanna go through that and so they're just a little more skittish, right? Um, and, and so the cost part plus the uncertainty is gonna, I think, cause builders to bring inventory to market more, more slowly. And that's not good, that is not good. And you can't say, you know, I, it drives me nuts when one, somebody points to one data point and it's yeah. like, well, this is why the market's gonna crash. So I, this is not what I'm doing. Yeah, this is not, yeah, <laughs> this is not what I'm doing here um, is, but, you know, from a supply and, inven- su- supply and demand inventory's perspective, I mean, that alone is a big uh, piece of the puzzle for, for prices mm-hmm. staying, staying up or even continuing to increase. Yeah. You know, where that teeter-totter balance of affordability and that, like, where that um, equals out, I don't know, yeah. uh, but you know, there's definitely a, a huge lack of inventory and that's not gonna get solved anytime soon. In fact, it may get worse uh, before it gets better. Yeah. Um, that's that's gonna be a, a big thing to overcome and, and keep an eye on. So uh, we're not gonna see a glut of inventory. No. I don't, I mean, I just. I mean, I believe it's NAHB, the National Association of Home Builders, puts out a Home Builders Confidence Index every single month. And typically when it's above 50, it means the home builders are, are more positive, more bullish. On the housing market and I believe we've been above 50 for most of the like May tail end of the spring through the summer we just dipped below that here in August so I think permits and starts were also up in correlation with that um, but we're starting to see that level off again because yeah. again at the end of the day builders are in this business to make a profit yeah um, they're not an emotional homeowner that, that is attached to their home they want to get a certain price it's like Sometimes for, for certain people, um, new construction can be really awesome right now because the builders can pack in incentives, they can buy down your rates. Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, yeah, that's the problem that. most people don't understand is though that they are, the builders, the builders are not doing it for charity. Like they are in <laughs> it to make a profit. Yeah. Like 
you are paying for, you're getting your closing costs or your rate bought down, you're paying for that at a higher price of the home. Yeah. Which can still be a win for a lot of folks to, to achieve the dream of home ownership. But that's just something to keep in mind. It's such a small sector of the economy. I know everyone wants to point to new construction, the backlog of inventory, but the builders are going to continue to deliver that slowly to market. They have, they're not trying to bring more supply necessarily to the market. They're in this business to make a profit. Yeah. Um, so there, there are pros and cons there. I mean, we're certainly seeing right now this month, uh, September, August, we're seeing a lot of first time home buyers actually come out to, to purchase, whether they, they have a well-paying job, like several people that we've been in discussions with for months that are just like, okay, rates are in the sevens. I'm accepting this reality. We're going to yeah. refinance in a couple years. But I have an opportunity to buy, and I want to buy a home, or I want to house hack and buy a duplex and yeah. be smart about my housing. I'm tired of renting. It's like, yes, rates are in the sevens, but we're seeing more and more people accept that. And I don't know what the tipping scale is, like yeah. you kind of mentioned, yeah. where between affordability and accepting reality versus where where rates go. Yeah. But supply and demand, like lending is strong right now yeah. the guidelines it's not the wild west of the leading up to the great financial crisis from right. 05 to 08 yeah supply and demand is going to be our driving factor in yeah. so many markets and as long as there's still that that first time home buyer yeah. which isn't a seller they're not they're taking inventory from the market they're not adding inventory sell, excuse me selling and buying but as long as they are still buying and wanting to purchase that home yeah, this supply demand imbalance is going to yeah. be a sustained thing for many years to come. And I think that, and I think that tipping point goes back to the affordability pieces. Like, you can want to buy all you want, but if rates get to a certain, I mean, when, already a chunk of the market is taken out, right? Your your income level that you need mm-hmm. to be able to buy a home is much different than it was, you know, a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's what changes, and so that's where, you know. And, and at least here in Portland, and I think in a lot of markets, we haven't seen, there's about the same number of homes on the market right now as there was this time last year. Mm-hmm. We have about the same amount of inventory with when you factor in absorption. It's yeah. like 0.2 months or 0.3 months more. Yeah. So it's like hardly anything that's not even worth like discussing. Like we're, we're essentially the same pace as we were a year ago, even though rates are, well, I guess a year ago rates had, t- had gone up. But, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, that's the fact. That's like okay, what, income levels and all that. Obviously, these buyers are not. They must have. They have probably have higher paying jobs, things like that. But the lower, there's a the large section of the population that just can't they afford just can't, to buy right? a home. Yes, and so that demand is gone, right? Yeah. So, but maybe these people are buying a lower priced home, or they're like the monthly payment works for their budget because yeah. they like so many people have come to realize like I want to buy a home, and now is a good time. There are fewer buyers. It creates an opportunity to go one-on-one with a seller. We're still seeing bidding wars in a lot yeah, of areas, some, but yep. to be able to get some seller credit, we've had so many people get seller credit, buy down your rate, cover closing costs, yeah. knowing you're going to refinance in the next two years, you're going to have closing costs when you refinance. Let's see if we can get the seller to cover your upfront purchase closing costs. Yeah. And because they know, okay, as rates drop, you're like, Rates go down a quarter, I think it's a quarter or half a percent, and another like five million people in the population, things become affordable for. And that's yes. that many more buyers as rates drop that you then have to compete with. That's exact and that's exactly what I was gonna just mention to you, is that the the flip side of that is like they're out of the market now, but they're but they're waiting. Yeah. They're on the sidelines, they're ready to jump in when the time is right. Mm-hmm. And you know, it so 
if you can buy that, what is that going to do? That's going to create a whole bunch more demand. We don't have a whole lot more inventory. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I mean, you didn't say this, but maybe you did, but it's a great time. I guess you did say it. It's a good time to buy if you can, because yes, your rates are higher, but there's just, there's, there's not, it's not that prices couldn't come down. Obviously, none of us know. We don't have a crystal ball. We really don't know what the future holds, right? Most indicators, most of the forces are leaning towards prices continuing to go up. Yep. When rates do come back down, we're going to be in a different spot, but yep. very similar to where we were before. Like the floodgates are going to open up, and there's going to be a lot of people like, okay, now's our time. Here we go again. Back to five or six or ten offers instead of two or three. Yeah. And what is that going to do to pricing? I don't know. I yeah. mean, I've, we've seen it before. So it's probably entirely over this, probably prices continuing to, uh, you know, be bid up, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so buy now, right? Okay. Oh, actually, one other thing that I was going to, so the thing, so, um, on, so as far as on the rental side, like as a, as a landlord, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we have crazy rents, you know, rents were going up 20, 25, 30% mm-hmm. year over year in some markets for a while. Well, that's obviously stopped. So, uh, but, uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, it'll be interesting to see how interest rates affect that because right now it makes a whole lot of sense still to, to rent. So like there are people, and especially we talked about the sector that's like maybe on the sideline right now. But they're renters right now, right? And so there's a pretty big gap right now in in rent versus payment. And a lot of, I mean, this is general, right? Not in every market, but um, to where as a landlord, you're probably going to see some pretty steady rent growth over the next, you know, foreseeable future. Again, inventory problem, um, that kind of that gap in in payment of for rent versus um, for mortgage, um, and so just. I, I'm bullish on rents in, you know, moving forward. Are we going to see 10, 15% year over year? No. Okay. No, we're not going to see that. Um, although some markets have seen that still over the last year. Uh, everything's local, right? You have negative rent growth markets right now, and you have markets that are still double-digit year over year uh, rent growth. But, um, you know, a lot of them are going to return to, like, more historical norms. But that's still, you know, 3 4%. You extrapolate that out over... 10 years, that's that's some pretty good income increase. So buy real estate, to see that. buy real estate, wait. Yep, there you go. Don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait, yep. Yeah, and we won't get into that right now. There's gonna be, if you're multifamily and um, you know, looking at some of the commercial uh, markets, there's gonna be some opportunity there. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. I think banks will have maybe some flexibility with certain buyers. Extending, um, extending terms, yeah. yeah so we've already seen that a little bit. Yeah, so I don't think we're, you know, some. There will be some distress. There, are, there already is in commercial, yeah. especially office. But. Yeah, for sure, yeah. But um, I think it's probably not as much as if you just look at, like, oh, these people, have, this many people have adjustable rates coming out. Uh, these, this many people have, you know, variable loans. Bridge this many people have bridge loans that are coming due, and they're not going to be able to refine. I mean, there's going to be some of that, but a lot of those... I just don't want to take the yeah, I think I think there's going to be a lot, yeah, because the equities not there anymore, right? So um, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out because normally a lender would do a capital call or you know something like that where like sorry we're gonna take we're gonna take the property back. Well well now they have that asset that 
what, what are they going to do with it if the equity is not there, right? So yeah. there, there probably will be some negotiations working through that um, rather than just calling them an OU and, and taking the taking the assets. We're so, seeing a mix of both of those. Yeah. It'll, it'll be. I haven't seen anyone do a correlation between. Everyone likes to talk about commercial and, and residential, like they're two separate things. But like a lot of your lenders, especially your your middle tier regional local banks, that frankly hold a lot of the commercial loans for smaller mid size mm-hmm. investors, and but they also do residential loans. And I'm curious, they're already strained for liquidity with the current banking or the what was the current banking price crisis, uh, but also they have just gotten more reserve requirements level mm-hmm. them where they need to load up their books. So they're not, they're certainly pulling back, credit's tightening across the board. Um, like you kind of, we were just talking about, lenders are gonna protect themselves or find ways to work with investors in commercial. So I don't think there's gonna be as much of a domino effect in commercial. There'll be a lot of, there'll be a lot of different syndicators and owners that are, that are hurting, but I'm curious to see if anyone is able to draw a correlation with if that will affect residential. I don't think so from everything I've seen, but I am not an expert. Yeah, on that's that. a really good. I'd love uh, to learn more about that. Go down the, go down the rabbit hole there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because a couple things there. I mean, to your point, uh, so, you know, there's regulations there too, right? So they can't necessarily just say, "Hey, we want to work with you," um, because they have to meet certain like equity requirements and their on their books and all that. Mm-hmm. Like, so there's, there's what they're willing to do and then there's requirements that they have to meet and, and stand by and and so they may not line up like they may legitimately want to work with the borrower and be like we can't because we have to have these certain standards on our loans and then the other point is will it affect residential um i think i think the liquidity piece of that is is the piece of the puzzle there right is yeah. which is really kind of in the financial crisis what made the crisis was liquidity shorter, shorter went away. Loans too. Yeah, yeah. And so when liquidity goes away, it's like you could have all the demand in the world, and it doesn't matter because nobody can act on it, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, with the, with with reserve requirements and all these other things on top of them, and then if they start getting some distress within their portfolio, they may not be able to lend, and then now or as much. And so, and that affects rates too, right? So, like, they may not be able to lend at all because they don't have. The proper reserves, or they just need to be more conservative. And then, what do banks do a lot of times? Is they don't just say we don't we're not lending money anymore, right? Typically, there's they say, well, yeah, we'll give you money, but here's the rate, right? To the point where and the guidelines like are very yeah, it's kind of like a go away bid. It's like I really don't want to do this remodel, <laughs> but like I'll do it for this much, you know. So yeah. that's that's kind of banks do kind of the same thing. It's like, well, our rates should be eight percent, but we yeah. can't right now. But if someone will give us twelve percent, sure, we'll give more. Right, so you really did. They kind of just dis- disincentivize it, yeah. more or less. Yeah, like I could definitely see it hurting, like your smaller regional commercial banks, your local credit unions, and not necessarily hurting their existing servicing portfolio from a residential. So I don't think people need to be worried about that because we are set up in the United States. I think it was like eighty-five to ninety percent of the loans are, are if not more, are thirty-year fixed in the residential. That's why we're yeah. so strong. You look at. Other countries, you look at the commercial market in the U.S., like yeah. the shorter term, three, five, seven year notes that are coming due, they're variable, and that's mm-hmm. also what ex- helped accelerate the great financial crisis with those coming yeah, due loans, all, at, all at the same time. Yeah, yep. negative amortization loans. All in one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I could see that like hurting liquidity-wise, like you said, with the, with the smaller local regional banks. And basically just not lending or making the criteria so tight because yeah. they're trying to hoard liquidity 
as commercial assets are coming due or they're, they're getting on payers with yeah. those. Um, your independent mortgage bankers, your private entities like Academy, some of your big banks that work directly with the Federal Reserve, I, it's not going to affect them. They're still going to be lending. Credit yeah. is still available at reasonable terms. You might see rates move a little bit, but there's still going to be a lot of access to lending to capital in the residential markets just because the foundation with the 30-year fixed loans is yeah. so strong. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll add one little um, non-political piece here. Um, we have something coming up next year about this time, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, they're going to do everything that they can to keep the economy moving forward for the next year. So, Looking healthy, it, yes. is there is there potentially a hammer that's going to fall at some point? Maybe. I mean, again, we don't know, and I'd say real estate and, and historically real estate typically everybody points to the financial crisis and and this is what happens to real estate in a recession the um, shortest term short term memory yeah yeah but historically real estate actually does really well in a recession because of a lot of reasons but um you know rates come down again right in a recession to try to spur the economy and, and there's a lot of reasons behind that but everybody oh no that back in the, the housing crisis the recession well um the recession before that, it did really housing did really well in the recession before that. So, yeah. um, you know, so a recession doesn't mean necessarily negative for for, the, for housing, but um, but yeah, I guess my point is is that if something were to fall, it's probably not going to be in the next year because they're going to do everything they are going to do everything <laughs> they can to to keep that Have a, from happening, right? Optically robust economy yes. headed into yes. the election. Whether it falls apart. The year after that doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> it's just what happens the next year. So um, anyway, I'll just probably stop there. So <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just that's how, it's how it works. Bigger you know? Pockets yeah. put out an article just in the last couple of days that they looked at Reagan, Clinton, Obama, it's, like headed into a re-election year. Yeah. Like there's always like economic growth because that's such a focus. Yep. Or, like there's positive stability and people are hesitant to make even if they don't like the administration they're hesitant to make a change you know change is questioned in the economy you don't know what the new administration is going to do now you might actually kind of do know depending (laughs) on who who that change might be but um but yeah stark contrast change one side or the other yes yeah big swings and all that stuff so um yeah it'd be really interesting you know non-politically to see how that plays out um and, and really, it, I mean... Especially with all the other factors going yeah, on in the economy yeah. at the same time. And I'm, and I'm going to borrow a little from the, from the real estate guys. You're like, politically, wherever you stand, okay, I'm not saying it's not important, um, but it's really, just, it's really, from a financial standpoint and from a strategic standpoint, it's more important to know what's, where things are likely headed, right? Because then you can position yourself. You may not like it, you may not agree with it, but you can still you can still benefit from it and put yourself in a position to, yeah. um, to, to profit from it and to, and to um, you know, strategically do positive things, right? So yeah. um, there's always opportunity. No matter who is in office, I mean, real estate is yeah. always a good thing. Yeah, and you may change your approach or change your strategy or whatever, but um, that's okay, right? You just, you just skate where the puck's going, right? It doesn't, yeah. You may want the puck to go that way, but if it's going that way, you know, doesn't help to go this way. <laughs> so, um, well, great. Let's talk a little bit about um, 
strategy, what you're seeing, what are you seeing? So rates are high, mm-hmm. eight, eight and a half, nine percent for investor loans, right? So it doesn't make any sense to do anything as an investor, right? Just sit on the sidelines. We have seen some incredible opportunities cre- created, um, whether through negotiations or off market. Um, like I said, our first time home buyers, our house, it's always a good time to house hack. Buy a duplex, live on one side, run out the other, mm-hmm. pay much less than you're paying in rent. That's a win. Eliminate or reduce your housing expense. A lot of clients doing that. Also seen a lot of investors just in the past month or two. It's like people all around are starting to accept, hey, rates are higher, but we've had several clients do what's called delayed financing. Now most most lenders, most loan officers don't understand how, how to do this, where everyone hears the 12-month seasoning requirement to do a cash-out refinance mm-hmm. yep. at your ARV and your after-repair value, for those who don't know what ARV is. And that's only when you're buying with financing. If you're buying with a hard money loan, private money, conventional, doesn't matter. You do a renovation, you want to do a cash-out, you have to wait 12 months to do that. But if you buy with cash and then you do a cash out refinance, it's called delayed financing. The first key is buying with cash. The second piece, delayed financing exception is the one that like 99% of lenders don't know. If you put your renovation costs on the HUD statement, your final settlement statement at purchase as an escrow holdback, so you're buying a property at 350, you're putting 40 into it, so your total acquisition cost is 390 in that example. 350 purchase, 40 in rehab. Most people don't think to do the rehab. You could do, okay, you do your renovations, month, two months go by. You could do a cash out refinance at your ARV. And the max money you can pull out is your total acquisition cost. That's why it's smart to talk with mm-hmm. the lender when yeah. you're burring to understand this piece. And the first key is cash. The second key is putting those repairs on the HUD statement. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to, most people just, they don't even think about it. They go purchase it. They do the renovations. They go cash out on delayed financing. They do the first piece fine, which is still a win. Get your acquisition, the 350 purchase price out. But the bonus, the delayed financing exception, is if you include the renovations as part of your total acquisition, you can pull that if your ARV is high enough out at that, at that price point. Um, we've had several investors doing that where they're cycling money. We've had an investor by two duplexes down in Albany, Oregon. They bought at 370 cash. They did a few renovations, touch-ups, put maybe five, ten $10,000 into each of the properties. They were pretty much rent ready, mainly cosmetic. They both appraised at $420,000. They walked in to $100,000 equity in the span of two months. Nice, like, awesome. There are still, like, we've had several investors using delayed financing, investors pulling cash out of rental properties, re-leveraging the equity. It's like, yes, I'm giving up my, my lower rate that I had for a higher one, but I'm gonna go put this equity to work elsewhere and, yeah. and get a higher return. A lot of people are looking at return on investment, IRR, but there's a different focus when it comes to return on your equity. If it's just sitting there dead in a property that's appreciated, homeowners in America have so much equity in properties right now. Yeah. We're doing like, we kind of talked about this before we hopped on air, like debt consolidation refinances. Visually, it, it hurts to go from a three to a seven. But if someone's got two to $3,000 in credit card, personal loan, auto loan, taxes owed, like I've had several clients and we're getting more and more into this, seeing more cases like this where, okay, you're going from a three to a seven, okay, your mortgage payment's going up 
but your total monthly cash flow in your budget, you're you're spending three thousand on personal debt. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. But we always do an analysis. It's like, okay, you're saving fourteen, sixteen hundred dollars total in your monthly cash flow. Rates will come down, you have an opportunity to refinance your mortgage at a later date. But there are mortgage interest deductions, there are other wins with a home that you can't get with consumer debt. And even though, okay, your housing payment goes higher for a consumer or for an investor, sometimes from a return or just a monthly cash flow perspective, it makes sense to consolidate that. Yeah. We're, we're seeing that more and more just yeah. because your home for most people is your greatest asset. It's yeah. built a lot of equity over the last several years. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, one of the big things as an investor is that, you know, we're, kind of spoiled for a while right it's like i can borrow at four and i can go put it to work and i can make 15 or 20 on my four percent money mm-hmm. or 25 or 30 i mean like it was it was crazy how much money people were making. you know the returns were on syndications and like rent growth was crazy which we talked about earlier so we're making people were making so much of a spread on their you know, they're just arbitraging their debt mm-hmm. to, to a point where it's like, well, geez, you know, I'm, I'm just making this huge. And so like, that's where you got to just kind of reset expectations, right? Which I love that from a, a retail buyer perspective. You know, I would say like, like you can't look at your best deal and, and that you've ever done and say, well, I'm not going to do any deal unless, unless it looks like that. Cause yeah. you know what? You probably, as long I mean, assuming you haven't done just one or two deals, you know, if you've done a, 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 quite a few deals and then you just had a home run on one, and it's yeah. like, well, I'm not going to do anything unless it looks like that anymore. You're probably not going to do a deal for a long time, right? Yeah. Your 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 expectations, your bar is too high. Mm-hmm. Keep taking those base hits, right? Yes. So now, so now, um, you know, if your if your expectation is you're going to borrow at four percent and go make a 25 percent return on it, like don't even look. Like, what are you yeah. doing? Like, you're not going to. It's not going to happen. So. You know, now you're okay. You're borrowing at eight. You can probably still put it to work and make mm-hmm. ten to twelve or fourteen or fifteen. I mean, depending on what you're doing, right? There's still yeah. a, there's still a spread there. There's still yeah. a margin. You can still arbitrage. You have it's to just, adapt still. Yeah, you just you can still hit a single or a double. Yeah, to win exactly. Yeah, so like let's get maybe not so greedy on our arbitrage here and <laughs> and realize that it doesn't make sense just because you can't hit these certain numbers that you were hitting before to not still put your money to work, right? There's still opportunity to do that. It's just, you know, we just have to maybe accept a little bit lower returns for a while, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, I think that's a big, you know, don't get so stuck on the, it doesn't matter what the debt costs, right? It matters what you can do with it. Yeah. You know, people, hard money is too, oh my gosh, hard money is so expensive. I would never pay that much money for for money. Okay, that, why? Like if you're making, a hundred thousand dollars on a deal and he paid a lender 30 mm-hmm. for the money who cares mm-hmm. like get over it like they're in the business to make it's money it's too a mindset it's a mindset thing yeah yeah i mean it's a tool and if the tool helps you create more equity and and make money it doesn't really matter what it costs yeah so um don't use it irresponsibly right yes. you want to say don't do that but remember it's a tool again i think i've said that it's a tool use it properly don't use the chainsaw improperly cut your arm off use it the right way you know and and it's uh you know i'm not dave ramsey no debt guy okay so 
Uh, that is a great tool to use appropriately. To buy assets, yeah. Okay, um, so let's talk about, um, uh, let's kind of wrap it up with one more thing here. Um, what are, we talked a little bit about what you're seeing people doing. Um, you talked, to, before we got on, we were, you, we were talking a little bit about um, debt service coverage ratio loans, PSGR loans, uh, and you know, this kind of, this outlook that interest rates are going to go down at some point in the future, but we don't know when. And so talk a little bit about that and how investors are using those because there's some nuances there where, you know, you need to be aware of it if you're getting into things like that. And you kind of have a couple products that might help people um, in the meantime too, like if rates were to come down sooner than later. So talk about that. Yeah. So several, several things. I mean, We've talked about house hacking throughout this. We've had a lot of F VA, FHA buyers um, maximizing those loans to buy in one, two, up to four unit properties or properties with an ADU. Um, we have a 15% down, no PMI investment loan we've been using a lot. Um, you can go higher rate, lower cost, where most lenders don't, they will cap at like eight, but you're paying two, three points. They just cut the rate sheet off. Um, we have some options to go like higher rate, lower cost. Um, but then we've also been doing several DSCR loans, whether purchase or refinance for clients. So DSCR standing for debt service coverage ratio. And a lot of times you see that most commonly in commercial uh, mortgages where you're seeing 1.2 and 1.3 gross rents to total monthly payment, PITI. In residential, we can, we're, our target is 1.0. We can go as low as 0.7. But what most people don't realize is it gets pushed on bigger pockets a lot. Your DSCR loans, bank statement loans, asset-based, like more of your specialty products are considered non-QM mortgages, non-qualified mortgages. Your conventional VA, FHA, traditional government-backed loans are considered qualified mortgages. And that's as a result of the qualified mortgage laws that went into effect in and around the great financial crisis to um, reduce the variability, uh, prepayment penalties, that sort of thing. That's one of the big things, balloons, that make up a qualified mortgage mm -hmm. versus not. So what most people don't realize with non-QM, it's all privately backed, and almost every single one of the entities has a three to five year prepayment penalty. Mm -hmm. So we can broker to those entities at Academy. We're a direct lender. Um, like we talked about before, one of our greatest strengths is how big our toolbox is, whether it's um, doing loans retail, portfolioing, um, doing uh, brokering a loan when it's in the client's best interest. We have a multitude of solutions. And so a lot of these entities weren't getting quotes from our broker channels. They are minimum three years, sometimes with a five-year prepay. In an, in an environment where people are going to be refund, they're buying an asset right now, they're going to stabilize it, they're going to be refinancing in the next two years. And that prepayment penalty does not work. That's well, some we're seeing more like you used to have step down prepayment penalties mm -hmm. three two one, so you refinance in years two you have to pay one year's worth of interest that's what le what's left. We're starting to see three by three full prepayment penalties. So if you refinance in year two, you're still having to, when you pay off that loan to supply three months interest or excuse me three years interest to pay off that loan as a prepayment penalty. One of the things I love about we have two DSCR loans in house and neither of them have prepayment penalties. That's huge. Like mm -hmm. if the numbers pencil on DSCR, maybe you're an eighth or a quarter higher, because at the risk of the lender to not have a prepayment yep. penalty yep. right now, but you don't have a prepayment penalty, maybe a slightly higher rate, the DSCR is still 1.0 or as low as 0.7. 
you go to refinance in a year or two, you don't have to worry about that prepayment yeah. penalty. You're not getting slapped with a bunch of money. It's like, okay, an eighth or a quarter right now, it's like, that means nothing over the long term when you're looking at the finance cost long term of that three-year prepay. Yeah. That's yeah. a huge win. We've been doing a lot of those for investors right now where we can do those in-house, DSCR, no prepayment, bank statement, no prepayment, um, asset-based loans. That's been a huge win for yeah, that's, clients. That's that's yeah. yeah, that's great. That's a great great tool. If you, if you are of the mind that rates are going to come down in the next year or two to the point where it makes sense to refinance, then um, that's a great tool because otherwise you can still refinance if you're in the other ones, you know, but you're just going to pay a big fee. Um, Giving out a portion of your yeah. equity, basically. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a great tool. So, um, well, Grant, yeah, lots to talk about. We always have, I mean, we could, we could probably talk for another, you know, 45 minutes or an hour about the economy and all the tools and, you know, strategy and all that stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, Maybe, maybe, I don't know. We love, we love talking about it. Maybe hopefully other people are hearing about it, but probably another hour or so is too much. So, <laughs> well, um, but yeah, appreciate you being here and uh, we'll definitely make sure to keep having you on because things continue to, uh, to change and move and we want to make sure that everybody's kept up to date on what's going on. So, thanks for constantly changing. Yeah, appreciate you having me, Ben. Awesome. Yeah, thanks again for being on.